0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org.
1: And now let's read together from Matthew 19, verses 1 through 9. When Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery.
0: Well, good morning. And welcome to the Vine stream. Uh, Next week, for those that um, are able to come, we look forward to gathering together here at 9 and 1045. And so looking forward to that. We're continuing in our journey through the book of Matthew. And uh, there's a topic here that's of hot debate And I don't know about you all, but, man, we know that there is a lot of topics of hot debate in our culture right now. Like, I I dare you to show up to a party or some type of a gathering with people you don't know and just drop one of these bombs and just see what happens. So what do you think of uh, the last four years of Trump's presidency? Hey, what's your opinion about QAnon? What do you guys think are the best COVID restrictions? Like, those topics are going to get a response. Those topics are going to stir up a, a lively conversation. Because in our culture right now, those are things that are hotly debated with lots of fiery opinions, right? And here's the deal. Some people just like to stir things up. Like, let's, let's drop a little conversation bomb in there and, and see what happens. Why not, why not, right? Sadly, I used to be one of those guys. And um, usually it was probably more theological in nature. And the motives were typically like to try to engage in some verbal sparring to see if I could get the upper hand. And honestly, it was probably just an opportunity for me to see um, if I could get the upper hand, then probably just a boost in my pride. And so looking back, it's like sinful motives. I don't think I saw it at the time. I see it now. There's probably probably more to see. And this doesn't mean that there isn't a place to have frank discussions about important issues. And I think, in fact, we should be able to have these conversations, but not when it's competitive, not when it's fueled by pride, not when it's fueled by just a desire to be right or to have some type of a, gotcha moment, back someone into a logical corner. But see, that's what's going on in our text here today. That kind of scenario is where we find ourselves in Matthew 19, 1 through 9. And the Pharisees are just going to drop a a cultural grenade here at Jesus' feet and just kind of see what he does with it. Let's take a look. We're starting in verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him, being Jesus, and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Well, there's a question. Now, for us to understand what's going on here, we have to understand the world of the Bible. More precisely, that's called the historical context, okay? So what was the historical context? What was the world of the Bible here? Well, Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus lived in a predominantly Jewish religious environment, right? That was his context. And for religious leaders, Jewish leaders of his time and place, the topic of divorce was hotly debated, okay? And the Pharisees here, it says they want to test Jesus. See that in verse 3? They came up to him and tested him. And the topic of divorce was a great way for them to go about this testing. Like, Jesus, can you pass our theological examination? Or I wonder what grade he's going to get. Well, is Jesus going to stir up more controversy? Because he is pretty controversial in our circles, is he going to be passive? What are we going to get when we, when we try to pull Jesus into this debate? Like, this is, this is like good theater right here. This is, man, if you were a, a Pharisee, you would want a front row seat to this conversation. This is what they were wondering. And the question is quite direct, right? Look at it again in verse 3. Can a man divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever? Hot debate back then. And some Jewish leaders were very permissive in answer to this question. Some Jewish leaders were a lot more strict, and, and that's why it was a debate. Jesus, where do you stand? That's, that's where we are right here in this text. Well, as is normal for Jesus, he doesn't play ball as they would want or as they would expect. Okay? But what he's going to do here is he's going to take them back to the foundation. Jesus wants to take them back to the foundation. A few years back, my wife and I, it was actually a couple years after we moved to Madison, we were in the process of trying to buy a house. When we moved here, we had to rent. And after a couple of years, we are ready to try to figure out how to buy a house And back then, this is eight years ago, the market was super hot just like it is today. You know, today you hear stories of people, full price offer, you know, uh, three or four or five offers coming in within 24 hours. Really, really intense. Well, it was the same way back eight years ago. And we found this house. We had our heart set on this house. It was in this neighborhood that we wanted. And we put in a really good Offer. We we felt pretty confident that this is the house we were gonna get. So put the offer in and then you just wait, right? And we got a phone call a few hours later and found out that we had lost the house. And this is like the third or fourth house we'd put an offer on and lost. So we were really disappointed, as you can imagine. But it turns out we weren't that disappointed. Because a few days later, we got this news. The person who won this bidding war and got the house was suing the owner of the house because the house had been deemed structurally unsound. There were massive problems with the foundation that were not disclosed. Really big deal. Like... $60,000 $60,000 worth of repairs to the foundation. So when we found that out and the legal shenanigans that were going to have to take place to get that whole deal squared away, then we're like, whoa, man, the Lord rescued us from that quagmire, right? What's the point? The point is this. The foundation of a house is not something you want to mess around with. The foundation of the house is Everything. When it comes to the structural integrity of a place where you live. It's a really big deal. If you get the foundation wrong, it's just a matter of time before cracks in your walls are going to start to form. If you start to see cracks all over your walls, you know that it's not time just to focus on the walls. You have to consider the foundation. See, if you focus on the wrong thing, you'll never solve the problem. The cracks are a symptom of a bigger foundation problem. And and that's what's going on here. The Pharisees are trying to kind of focus on cracks on the wall. And Jesus wants to take them down to the basement. And say, we've got to look at the foundation. You have to consider the foundation. The foundation is everything. So, can we divorce our wives for any reason? That's a cracks in the wall kind of, conver- kind of conversation, kind of topic. And Jesus says, guys, we got to go down to the basement. we got to look at the foundation. And so that's exactly what Jesus does here next. He takes them to the foundation of the Bible. And he's quoting them now from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He's saying, guys, we've got to consider the foundation in order to answer this question. So look at verse 4 here. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Look at the words here in verse 4. What does he start with? He says, "Have you not read?" It's a great question. Satan wants us to say, "Did God really say?" And Jesus says, "Yeah, He said." Have you not read what He said? Like we got to consider what what God said from the beginning. That's what He's doing. It's like Pharisees, you guys are Bible teachers. This is where the answer is. Let's look at the Bible. So he's simply here. These words should be familiar if you've been around church for a while. If you haven't, this is just Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The creation account. And he's just quoting what the creation account says about marriage. And in short, he answers their question. Jesus, can you divorce your wife for any reason? Guys, Genesis 1 and 2. No, you can't. That's not God's will for human flourishing. It's clearly what God did not attend, uh, intend when he created marriage. Let's, let me just read it again. Like pay attention to the words here. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore, so in light of all that, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So he's just basically saying to them, guys, this should be clear. No, you can't just divorce your wife for. Whatever reason you come up with. We're going to come back to this. But I want to just pause here and I want us to see and think a little deeper about what Jesus is doing here and the implications of why he quotes Genesis 1 and 2 and what we find in Genesis 1 and 2. Let's think about this. When he quotes Genesis 1 and 2, what is that implicitly saying? Well, it's saying that Jesus believes that God's word is authoritative. Jesus has a very high view of scripture. If he didn't, he wouldn't be quoting it to the Pharisees right now, right? It's not like Jesus is like, oh, Old Testament, that's just Old Testament. You don't have to worry about that. Oh, Genesis, that's just a myth. You don't have to worry about Genesis. The creation account, that's just another creation myth. No, Jesus assumes the trustworthiness of the Bible. That's why he's quoting it. You see that? So Jesus has a very high view of Scripture. Secondly, what do we see? Jesus is making an authoritative comment here about the relationship between gender and marriage. See that? What does it say? He says, God's the one that made them male and female and brought them together in marriage. So God is the author of marriage. God is also the author of gender. There's a man and there's a woman. And this is a basic necessity for there to be any sense of a biblical marriage. Right? Jesus assumes that the Genesis account is authoritative. What does the Genesis account say about marriage? It says that marriage is a man and a woman for life. So despite what our culture says, Jesus has a different opinion about marriage than our culture. Biblical marriage is only one man and one woman for life. Now our culture might recognize other forms of marriage, but Jesus does not. The Bible does not. And and we know I know that that's a really hard word for people in our culture to hear. Especially if you're not a believer in Jesus this morning. There's a lot we could say about that. In fact, there's a podcast coming really soon uh, that I want you to watch out for and I want you to listen to that's going to deal with this in more detail. But suffice to say right now, We have to say what the Bible says. We have to say what Jesus says. We have to believe what Jesus points to and not try to conform the Bible to what we want it to say. So the second thing I want you to see from what Jesus is doing here is that, number one, Genesis is authoritative. Number two, in that authoritative scripture, we see that marriage is only and always a man and a woman for life. So gender is at the heart of biblical marriage. This is the intention of what God had when he created marriage. And the final thing I want you to see here is that God is the author of marriage. See that in verse 6? It doesn't say what you guys joined together, don't take it apart. No, what does it say? It says what therefore God has joined together. What God has joined together. Let not man separate. God is the one who brings people together. God is the author of marriage. God is the one who gets the credit and the glory for thinking up this whole institution of marriage that, we, that some of us get to participate in. So if marriage is God's idea that we get to participate in, then we should be extremely cautious if we're going to try and break it up. So that's where Jesus leaves the Pharisees as they drop the cultural grenade at his feet. Well, the Pharisees aren't so quick to back down. And let's see what happens next in verse 7. They said to him, verse 7, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? All right, there's a lot going on here. So Jesus is quoting Scripture, Genesis 1 and 2, in his response, and they respond to his response by also quoting Scripture. Like, Jesus, you quote Scripture, but yeah, we can quote Scripture too. And what they're quoting here in verse 7, when they say, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? They're quoting here Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4. And Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, is a big section on God's laws for his Old Testament people, the Israelites. Okay? And hang with me here. i got to explain some things for this to make sense, or we'll just just, uh, lose track of what's going on here. So let me summarize this section of Scripture from Deuteronomy 24, God's law. And that's what the Pharisees are quoting in their retort to Jesus, okay? In the Old Testament law, in Deuteronomy 24... God gave some restrictions on divorce and some instructions for divorce. And that's what these guys have on their head, okay? And essentially it was this. The Old Testament law, there was built-in protection for the woman if, she, if, her, if her husband sent her away and also built-in reason for the man to pause before he thinks about doing that. It was a protection for the woman and a reason for him to slow down. Okay? This is kind of the essence of the law about divorce in Deuteronomy. So, Jesus, you got Bible? Well, Pharisees, we got Bible too. The Old Testament law says we're free to divorce. In fact, look at verse 7, why did Moses command? There's a command to divorce, is what the Pharisees say. What's going on here, Jesus? Well, with all false teachers, they twist the scriptures. They, they're twisting the Bible here. The Old Testament law, if you read it, it does not command anyone to get a divorce. It says they're permitted to divorce. But command and permission are very different things, right? Right? And that's what Jesus is going to expose here. Look at verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, or from the foundation of the world, from the beginning it was not so. See how Jesus uses words here in terms of what the Old Testament actually said? He's correcting them because they're twisting Scripture. He says, look at the word. He says, verse 8, allowed, Moses allowed or gave permission. He did not command it. They were changing the text in their favor to just get what their sinful hearts wanted. But words are important. Words have consequences. Words have meaning, right? God is not commanding you to divorce, he says to the Pharisees. But he permitted it in certain cases. Why? Verse 8, because of hardness of heart. See it there in verse 8? Because of the hardness of your hearts. God permitted divorce in Deuteronomy because the hearts of his people were hard. Okay, so what does that mean? What's Jesus getting at here? I had to spend a lot of time studying this this week because I didn't really understand what this meant. So what does this mean? When Jesus says that God permitted divorce in the Old Testament because their hearts were hard, it was this. It's that Jesus, I'm sorry, it was that God mercifully giving some structure to sin that he knew would take place. Giving some boundaries to sin that he knew would take place. Meaning, God knew that his people's hearts were hard. You can see that from from Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament. God's people, they're not a shining example of obedience. They've got hard hearts a lot. There's exceptions. Hard hearts a lot. And God knew that his people were going to disobey him in terms of seeing Genesis 1 and 2 and the beauty of marriage come to pass. And in this case... He gives restrictions on their sin. It would be like me saying to someone who loved to abuse alcohol. It's like, hey man, I I know that you're going to get drunk tonight. This is not my will for you. This is not wisdom. But if if you're going to get drunk, just don't get behind the wheel of a car. See, in that case, I'm just trying to minimize the damage that's going to be done. Like if your heart is going to be really hard towards God's view of the, the correct consumption of alcohol, it's clear that your heart is hard, heart is hard towards that. But can we at least put some limits around your hardness of heart to minimize the damage, to minimize the wreckage? That's kind of the point that Jesus is making here. It's like, guys, you were a sinful mess, and God was just giving a provision here to to limit the damage that your sin was gonna do. But he says, look at verse eight again. But from the beginning, it was not so. Like, that's not the perfect will of God. This is like what theologians would call the permissive will of God. But Jesus is saying, I want you to focus on the perfect will of God. From the beginning, it was not so. It wasn't like this. God's will is not divorce. It's like the Pharisees were asking where the lines are, right? Like the high school boy that asks, How far can I go with my girlfriend? Like, How much sin can I get away with before God brings the hammer? Like if you're asking that question, how much can I get away with, then obviously your heart's in the wrong place, right? If you're asking how close to the cliff of sin can I walk before I trip and fall and plunge to my death, you're asking the wrong question. It just demonstrates that your heart's in the wrong place. All that demonstrates is that you love sin and you fear punishment. But does that sound like love for God? Does that sound like a heart that's right? No, it just sounds like I love sin and I just want to know how far I can get before God brings the consequences. It doesn't reflect a heart for God. It just reflects selfishness, right? And that's what Jesus is showing them. Like, you guys want to know based on your current debates and hardness of your own heart, how much divorce can I get away with before there might be consequences? That's what these guys were asking And Jesus is just saying, wrong question. Look back to the creation account. This is God's design for marriage. Divorce is not God's design for marriage. God's design for marriage is man, woman, for life. One flesh. And then he just leaves them with verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. And I say to you, So look at what he's doing here. This is really fascinating. He's quoting scripture as authoritative. And then he quotes his own words as authoritative. Right? Like God said back in Genesis, and check it out, and now I'm going to say something to you. Like I'm on the same level as scripture. And and I say to you, verse 9, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality... And marries another, commits adultery. So Jesus lays down some straight talk here for the Pharisees. Now verse 9 will lead us to a whole host of questions. What about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Because there's few of us in this room that haven't been touched by divorce in some way. There's divorce in my immediate family. And I, and I want to just say right now that this is not a sermon on all of divorce and what the Bible says about divorce and what are the right applications and what are the wrong applications. Like, that's another topic for another day, okay? And this isn't a topical message on divorce. I just simply want to preach the text that's here. So let's close by thinking about Jesus' conclusion here about divorce. And what we see in verse 9, look at verse 9, is that divorce shouldn't be an option unless there's sexual immorality and most understand that to mean adultery in this text. Divorce shouldn't be an option unless there's sexual immorality and, and most likely adultery. Now, let's think about this. What is it about adultery where in verse 9 Jesus would say, if there's adultery, divorce can be permitted. What is it about adultery that makes divorce permissible? Not required, but permissible. Well, to answer that, I think we have to think more biblically, more broadly, about the sacredness of the sexual union in marriage that's taught in the Bible. So despite what the culture says, despite what you see on TV shows, on Netflix, sex is not just an activity that humans happen to, to pursue and to engage in because it's, it's fun, or it brings a momentary pleasure. That's not how the Bible presents sex. No, sex is always in the Bible downstream from something. It's a subset of something. What's it a subset of? It's a subset of marriage. Biblically speaking, there is no God-ordained sex apart from the covenant of marriage, okay? Sex, said differently, sex only exists... Because marriage exists, okay? That's what the Bible presents. Remember the the Genesis account that Jesus is quoting? We see that God creates man, woman, marries them, and then they become sexually active. One flesh. There's an order there. Marriage first, sex as a subset of that. So there's no sexual union that is holy that exists outside of marriage. Okay, so then that leads us to the question, what is marriage? Well, We know from Ephesians 5 that marriage exists. So sex sex exists because marriage exists. Well, why does marriage exist? Marriage exists because the gospel is true. Ephesians 5 says that, God created marriage to be a picture, to be a living, breathing, walking around in this world illustration of how Jesus relates to his people. And the metaphor is Christ in the church is like a man and a woman in marriage. So the man is called to reflect, look like Jesus in the marriage in this respect, He's called to lay down his life for her her, that looks like nourishing and cherishing her. Lay down his life for her like Christ laid down his life for his people, his bride, the capital C Church. And men are supposed to see that and go, man, I, I I want to display for the world what Jesus looks like in relationship to his people, the church, so I'm going I'm to do that with this woman that God has given me. I'm going to lay down my life for her. I'm going to nourish and I'm going to cherish her. That's what Ephesians 5 says. And the wife is called to look to her husband for leadership and affirm and love his leadership and come alongside him to be a beautiful representation of the gospel in the world. Like that's why marriage exists. Again, like sex, it's not just some willy-nilly thing that we do because we're programmed evolutionarily to want to do this. That's not what the Bible says. Because God created marriage, and he created it because the gospel is true. So he wanted to give a picture of the gospel for all the world to see. And there's other pictures we have, like the Lord's Supper is another picture. And marriage is another one of God's sacred pictures in the world to put the gospel on display, Okay? So this is just a brief kind of theology of sex and marriage. But the point is this. Marriage and sex is so much more sacred than we usually think about. It's profound in its implications for God's glory in the world. So all that being said, you can see, and it would make sense, that if there is sex outside of marriage, like adultery, that would shatter this picture. Right? Like Jesus doesn't cheat on his wife, Jesus is faithful to the church. See the cross in the empty tomb. So if there is adultery in the marriage, Jesus says, this picture has been so shattered that there might be irreparable damage. In light of all that sex and marriage represent, if you betray that picture, divorce might be permissible, or is permissible, not required, but it is permissible. Permissible. See, when you spit on God's picture of the gospel in this way, by giving your body to another one flesh union, like that's as serious as it gets. Like we don't want to spit on what God said is sacred. In this case, divorce is permitted, not required. Well, where does that leave us this morning? Jesus has taught the Pharisees and us the true gravitas, the weightiness, the depth, the profundity and beauty of what marriage is. And so then why we shouldn't be looking for quick outs when marriage gets challenging? God created it. He loves it. And we should think long and hard before we try and take it apart. That's the point this morning that Jesus has for the Pharisees and for us. Now listen, some of us may have heavy hearts right now. There's divorce in our sphere of relationships, in our family relationships. Maybe there's divorce in your own life. Maybe there's sexual immorality that looks like adultery in your marriage right now and you've never told anyone ever. And we could just kind of stuff it, ignore it, pretend it's going to be just fine and it'll just all go away, but it won't. Maybe there's sexual immorality in your friend group and your heart's just breaking for someone because you know there's a disaster coming. Maybe with a parent currently or in the past there's much room for heavy hearts in the room right now in light of this is a hard word that jesus gives to it's a good and necessary word but it's a hard word that jesus gives for a lot of us to hear well let me close with this reminder i want you to think about if your heart is heavy about sexual immorality and marriage How does Jesus deal with sexual sinners in the Gospels? Like where there's repentance, Jesus does not bring the hammer. Where there's honesty and repentance, Jesus is quick to show mercy. He doesn't sweep the sin under the rug. He says, go and sin no more, neither shall I condemn you. Like, today is the day of honesty and repentance. Like, bring to light. Let the healing start today. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but silence and hiding always makes things worse in the long run. Like, that, that is a cancer for our spiritual lives with God and with others. But again, remember, how does Jesus deal with sexual sinners in the gospel? There's freedom to Repent. There's freedom to be restored. Like if, if Jesus can't do that, then the gospel just isn't true. And if we're not willing to do that, then do we believe that the gospel is even true? There's freedom to walk in the light. And we'll close with this story. A few years ago, when we lived uh, in a city, not in Madison, we had a, uh, some good friends, a, a young couple, that were in a marriage class that Kim and I taught, and they were in our small group, and they moved away. They were gone for a couple years, and then I was told by... Um, a really good friend of mine, that the husband had been cheating on his wife since they had moved away. And that was really jarring for us. I mean, these were, these were people that we were close to, that we thought we knew really well. They seemed to be really strong in their faith, great family. And he'd been sleeping with a coworker. Well, this was really disturbing to us. And so myself, this man's brother, and this man's brother-in-law, we flew up to where he lived. We fl- he lived in a different city. And we flew there, um, showed up unannounced because we loved him enough to confront him in his sin. And that was hard. It was scary. And... We showed up at about six, seven p.m. Figured out where he was and just showed up and caught him off guard and said, "Hey, man, we know what's been going on. We need to talk." And uh, that first night, it was it was tough. And his heart was not super soft. He was conflicted, just saying things like, "Man, I've I've fallen in love with this woman at the office. So who cares?" Marriage isn't even about you, brother. Right? Your feelings are going to go like this falling in and out of love. That's the language of the culture, the language of the Bible. This is your wife. She's with you for life because marriage is not about you and your feelings. Marriage is about God and the gospel. That's what's at stake here God's glory. The next day, we met for breakfast, the four of us, myself, his brother, and his brother-in-law. And praise God, he chose the path of repentance. And praise God, his wife decided to work it out with him. And they've been happily married now for, it's been almost, gosh, 11 years now, 12 years See, God is in the restoration business. It wasn't easy, but it's beautiful. And in that marriage, you even have a a deeper picture of the gospel where there's forgiveness, repentance, restoration. That's beautiful. That's the gospel at work. And so was she free? To get divorced, yeah, she was free to get divorced. You don't have to get divorced. And maybe even in that moment of choosing to restore what was broken, to lay down your life and to pass through the uncomfortable parts of of forgiveness, then there's joy on the other side. And God looks beautiful. He's always in the restoration business. And so Pharisees know Like, you can't just divorce your wife for whatever reason you want. Because it runs so much deeper than that. God's glory is at stake in marriage. He created it. He loves it. Sex is a subset of that that he created and he loves. When we break that covenant, the beauty of that, are there consequences? Absolutely. And if there's been consequences in your life or you see those coming, Just remember, God is in the restoration business. Come to him. Bring it to light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And there's glory for him and there's joy for us on the other side. Let's pray. Father, would you help us in the midst of this word to see the beauty and the sacredness of marriage. And may you restore this vision to our minds. May we think biblically not necessarily culturally. Would you remind us of the beauty of your gospel that's on display in marriage? Lord, for those that are single this morning and and wondering, what does this have to do with me? Lord, I pray that there would be comfort for them. Lord, I pray that um, your word would come alive to them even next week in a different way. And Lord, we ask for your help. In Jesus' name.
1: Amen.